Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Monolith. It's a monolith. Thank you for your text. 57500. I couldn't come up with the term. I could. I even called it a metal pole. I called. I called it any number of things. I couldn't come up with it. It's a monolith. Surely you've seen the story out there, out in a very remote part of Utah. There is a, a big metal, shiny metal monolith that really evokes. Um, it really evokes the 2001 Space Odyssey. It really evokes. The mysterious. You remember that origins of man scene? It really evokes that. So, um, uh, Amber, let's get some music here going that's going to kind of set the tone here. This giant metal monolith. The state's asking, the state hasn't shown us where it is. Like, they're not telling us where it is. They're not giving us the coordinates. At least so far. They say they don't want people going out there because they're just going to have to rescue them because it's not any place you want to go. Yet it made it all the way out there. I've got John Hollenhorst, senior correspondent with KSL TV. John, welcome to Live Mics. Thanks so much for doing this. Now, uh, uh, Amber just whispered in my ear that there's a, a a little bit more to the story that we've learned just today. Yeah, indeed. And and let me just say, I think this is a lovely, wonderful story and a great mystery. Unfortunately, some internet sleuths are taking some of the fun out of it for oh, us. Uh, it, it, the secrecy that was uh, established by the state uh, people that discovered this alleged monolith, uh, have uh, that secrecy was penetrated by these internet sleuths who <laughs> tracked the movements of the uh, state helicopter that uh, took the people to that location, and uh, they figured out based on that and the geology of the region and all that exactly where it was. And sometime in the last day or so, a rather large group of adventurers made their way to that location. And so if you know how to find it on the Internet, you can find the exact coordinates of the uh, object, and you can watch videos of it that were shot uh, and posted within the last few hours. Um, And I can tell you that uh, uh, a stickler for detail would now say that we shouldn't call it a monolith anymore because it is not a single stone or metal object. It is made of sheet metal that is riveted together. Oh. <laughs> so it, does, it no longer fits the definition of a, of a monolith, oh, and monolith. it probably yeah. uh, undoes the theory that it was left by aliens because yeah. they would not have used earthbound <laughs> rivets. <laughs> they would have had something else for sure. I think that's right. Um, current theory, I don't know. There's a lot of theories kicking around because nobody yet has posted a definitive explanation for what what this thing was meant to be. Uh, but, you know, we've heard claims that maybe it's Edward Abbey's grave, the famous environmental author, yeah. although that seems unlikely because it's believed that he was secretly buried in Arizona, in Arizona not Utah. Yeah. Another yeah. theory is that it's a memorial to a hang glider, a rather well-known one, who died near there in a hang gliding accident a few years ago. I don't think there's uh, any particular evidence out there yet to support that theory, but it is an active theory. Um, and then somebody else has cla- uh, posted a claim on the Internet that they had a conversation with an artist several years ago in that area 
who claimed that he created such a thing as part of a sort of a, a scattered art project through the desert canyons. So yeah. one of those is probably going to emerge as the theory. Um, I guess if you want to believe in aliens, why not? It's <laughs> a lot more fun than something with rivets. Well, and, you know, the thing, one of the things that I've loved about this is it's, it's reinforced that mystery around the desert. I, I love getting out in the desert, and anyone who follows me on social media knows that. I always got a lot of photos of, you know, the back roads and, and back ways. And, um, and you, you, you share that enthusiasm with me. I've always loved these desert canyons for their mystery and their, their you know, the, the sense you always have that you're exploring. You're never yeah. just walking. You're exploring all the time. And anything you find is of interest. And and there's a and it this kind of took us back to a story that you did uh, a number of years ago uh, that of another desert mystery that is still in the process of being solved scientifically. And that is the famous desert varnish that we see on the sandstone across the state. And those are those big black and red dark splotches on the sandstone walls. And there are innumerable theories as to where that comes from. But one of them that's out there that I was really intrigued in your reporting is that scientists are holding out the idea that this might be a form of life that we're just not able to detect. It's there, but we just aren't able to really see it properly. Yeah, well, that that's certainly one idea that's been raised. I don't know if it's far enough along to be labeled as an actual theory that anybody is embracing. Um, it was raised by a philosopher of science who uh, was struck by the fact that, that scientists had been unable to explain the origin of that desert varnish. They weren't able to find any biological organism, certainly no geologic process, that would explain why it was there. So her speculation was maybe it's some kind of organism that we do not know how to detect because it's based on a biology that's completely different from all other biology on the planet. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's an idea that NASA ought to be looking into. And yeah. some NASA scientists were kind of intrigued by that. I don't know that they ever gave it a lot of scientific credibility, but the question was a good one, and uh, they expressed interest in studying it more to see if there could be something to it. But I, I, think, you'd ha I think even the proponent of that idea would have to say it's a pretty far-fetched idea but maybe one worth looking at. Well, and it's certainly one worthy of the area. I mean, it carries that element of mystery. And, and Absolutely. Uh, can, can, since, we share this, uh, since we share this interest, can I share a story with you? A I'd love to hear it. Uh, from what, uh, a desert experience that I had. And this was years and years ago. I was with some friends, and we were just off of the, the south end of the San Rafael Swell. And uh, this was before it became a very popular place. Now there's ATVs everywhere, and, and there's no peace down there. But back when it was still very, very quiet. Um, we were camped out there along that very south edge of the reef, and um, and I walked away from the campfire out in the desert a little bit, and the voices fell away at the campfire. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't very far out, and then all of a sudden, they sprang right back. And there was something about that desert wall that all of a sudden was bouncing that sound right back to me, and I was out of earshot, but then I could suddenly hear everything, and I thought, wow. This desert you know, really it's, cool it's interesting. You've raised a, a, a thought in my head. Um, a lot of the rock art that is found in southern Utah, uh, especially the Barrier Canyon style, people have wondered if the ancient artists who created that uh, art, uh, whether or not they were... Uh, putting those in places that had interesting acoustical properties. Really? Um, I don't know that anybody's ever gotten that one very far along in terms of proving anything, but it's an idea that maybe certain cliffs, certain alcoves had acoustical properties that were intriguing to these ancient peoples when they were making their art.
Yeah, I I mean that I can see that because I've I've had that experience and and it was cool and you could see how you know maybe a, a an early people that didn't have our same understanding of science might attribute a very special purpose to that area having experience absolutely and something something that maybe made the hair stand up on their neck the way yeah. my hair stands up when I see some of the greatest rock art yeah. Yeah, just phenomenal. And, and I love and of course, you know, the states reminded us that with as as neat as this uh, structure is, let's say it's a sculpture, maybe um, we're, we shouldn't do that. I mean, this is this is actually not in keeping with the rules of public lands. We're not allowed to leave things out there like this and manipulate and change the land. Yes, and, and that's not only a legal thing, but it's a moral thing, I think, that uh, these lands are really splendid and deserve protection and, and honor for what they already are and not not necessarily because man has changed them. I mean, there's plenty of places man can make an impact and leave things that are memorable or useful. But how about the places that nature created that have their own specialness? Can't we just leave some of those unspoiled? I, I think that's a, a moral question that everybody in Utah ought to be thinking about all the time because we live in a really incredible place. Oh, yeah, absolutely, for sure. All right, John Hollenhorst is senior correspondent for KSL TV. John, I've loved this conversation. Thanks so much. I, Great I, talking really to you, Ethan. All right, uh, we're going to let John go, and we've got a news break. We're going to get some news, traffic, and weather uh, like we always do. When we come back, though, I've got a couple of Zen headlines for you. In fact, here's what I want to ask you. Okay, here's what I want to ask you. Which one do you want to hear first? Do you want to hear about the, um, about the highly valuable space rock, or do you want to hear about the young boy who was so successful with his business, he's not even 10, that he was able to move his family out of a shed and into a real home. Which one do you want to hear about? Send me a text, 57500. I'm going to do both, but I just want you, just want you to pick which one's first. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.